Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. And uh, my name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. And I just want to say welcome. We're glad that you are here. I am inspired by the greatness of others. I get inspired by the greatness of others. I think one of the greatest bands of all time, you can disagree with me, that's okay, uh, is the band U2. Any other U2 fans in here? Whenever I see U2 play, uh, man, I'm just so inspired. They have a clip that came out recently, it was kind of going around on the interwebs, uh, of them doing kind of a new version, sort of, of I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And uh, I just, I love that. They have, they have a, the choir that pops in. They were on uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, I think, one of the late night shows. And it was just so amazing to watch. Uh, so inspired, in fact, if, if you caught it, I was actually playing that riff during uh, the Holy Spirit song. Because uh, I'm like, man, it's so amazing. Uh, they're such a great band. Uh, if you know me, uh, you know that uh, I love football, particularly NFL football. And um, when I was in Wisconsin, I ended up becoming a fan of a guy named Russell Wilson. Uh, I have his jersey, and so I'm unfortunately a Seahawks fan. I'm very sorry about that. Uh, but I think Russell Wilson is a great quarterback. Um, he's the third youngest quarterback to win a Super Bowl, most wins ever in a quarterback's first five years, highest passer rating ever, and average yards per attempt in NFL history for a quarterback's first five years. He also owns the record for the most games, 28, with multiple touchdowns and zero interceptions through a quarterback's first five years. I love Russell Wilson. If you know me, that's one of the things I'm passionate about. You too, Russell Wilson, Star Wars, those are my things. And one of my favorite moments of watching Russell Wilson's greatness was coming out of like some of his worst tragedy. And what that was was, um, I'm, do we have any Packers fans in the house? Just a couple? I'm really sorry. Um, so uh, the NFC Championship game in 2014 uh, was a crazy game. You have two amazing teams, the Packers and the Seahawks, going at it. And Russell Wilson just had a terrible game. At that time, the worst game of his career. Uh, and they were down 19-7 to uh, in the fourth quarter with about four minutes left. And what had happened was Russell Wilson threw four interceptions targeting the same guy. Uh, one of his top two receivers, an undrafted guy by the name of Jermaine Curse from Washington State, and tried to get the ball to him four times. Twice the ball bounced off his hands into Packers' hands, and twice just near him got intercepted. Four times to the same guy and gets intercepted. And they, at the end of this game, they made this amazing comeback and uh, tie up the game 22-22 and go into overtime. And I just want to show you a little clip of how it ended and uh, how I'm inspired by Russell Wilson's, Wilson's greatness. Go ahead and check out this clip. Russell Wilson, this is exactly what he was made for. These kinds of games, these kinds of situations. And you could almost probably hear him in the huddle saying, we're going to do it. We're going to win this game. Remember this, man. We'll remember this. Wilson. Baldwin. What a throw. Inside the 40. On third down and six, 35 yards to Doug Baldwin. Let's go. Come on. Let's go win it. Gun just left slot. Three scat, wide corner, zebra drive. Alert 50. 35 yards, longest play of the day for either side. Toward the end zone. It is Seattle's going to the Super Bowl. Jermaine Curse. Pistol formation. Wide receivers to either side. Russell takes the snap. Drops back. 
Russell Wilson tried to get it to him four times in this game and threw four interceptions earlier. That's his one catch. And the local kid good from 35 yards out. We see it. Overcome with their motion. Russell, just tell me, I mean, what are you thinking right now? Scott is for good all the time, man. Every time. These guys on this team are unbelievable, man. The fight, the fight, the relentless fight over and over again. The people used to doubt, man. We're just excited to be on this team. We're excited to play with the guys. I mean, four minutes up in the game, three minutes, four interceptions, and just keep playing. And the guys just keep believing in me, man. You gotta give credit to the, to the Packers. They had an unbelievable season. And it's just, just honored, man. Just honored, just blessed to be on this team. I just believe God's preparing me for these situations. God's prepared our team too as well. I'm just, I'm just, like I said, I'm honored to be on this team. We're going to the Super Bowl again. Yes, you are. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love that. And then the next game ends really sadly. But, <laughs> but it's amazing. They win the NFC Championship. If you didn't catch it, uh, they go to the line, and actually there's a different play called. And Russell Wilson does this little thing, and he does a check down, which means he changes the play at the line of scrimmage to say, all right, Jermaine Curse, four times, the ball's gone off your hands, go route to you to win the game. And I, I love that, that Russell Wilson still believes in his friend and his teammate, that four times trying to get to him, disaster. And he does it again to win the game. I love it. I think it shows so much grit. Uh, it just shows the greatness of their team, uh, in spite of, you know, having the worst game of your career, to keep being in it to come back. That's one person's greatness I admire. If you know me, I love Russell Wilson. Uh, whose greatness do you really, truly admire? Is there some musician, maybe a top chef or an iron chef that you love, you, their greatness inspires you? Maybe a different athlete? Maybe someone in your field of business that really, really inspires you? What about their greatness inspires you? Uh, what in your own life are you pursuing greatness in? What are you trying to do? What are you working on right now? What kind of conversations are you having with your friends about what you aspire to do, who you aspire to be, that greatness that you long for? 
I've titled today's message, Follow Jesus into Greatness. Follow Jesus into Greatness. We've been in this series about following Jesus. Last week we talked about follow Jesus down the mountain. And two weeks ago we talked about the cost of following Jesus. And we're going to look at a story where Jesus' followers argue about greatness. If you have your Bibles, we're working our way through the book of Luke. We're about 32 weeks into this uh, book of the Bible. And we are in chapter 9, verse 46. You can follow along. The scriptures will also be here behind me. Uh, Luke 9, verse 46 through 48. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great." Uh, this is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the chance to come together, even in a hot July day, to sing some songs in honor of you, God. Uh, we ask now that uh, our hearts and minds would be opened to your word, that you'd speak to us, God. Uh, God, that you would convict us of things in our life that we need to change. God, that you'd inspire us to becoming more like your son, Jesus. Uh, and God, I pray for uh, that my words would be your words, that you would speak through me this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so there's two possibilities that are happening here. Number one, this is possibly the dumbest conversation in the history of the world. Uh, and most Bible commentaries seem to agree with that. They're like, you know, just last week, just earlier in this chapter, we saw that Jesus went up to the mountain, was transfigured in glory. All of a sudden, he's shown like the sun and his clothes are changed and he's amazing. And it's like, whoa, the disciples got to see kind of... A, his unveiled glory. And then he doesn't stay up on the mountain. We talked last week how those mountaintop experiences are so important, but we can't stay there. we got to come down the mountain. And, and the reason Jesus came down the mountain was God had a purpose for him. And he comes down the mountain and finds a mess when he comes down the mountain. And, and there's a man who says, heal my son. He's been possessed by a demon. And Jesus heals him. And we see that we love those mountaintop experiences. we got to come down the mountain to be used by God so that we saw last week that everyone was in awe of the greatness of God. We get filled up on the mountain. We come down the mountain to be served, to serve others, not just to do good deeds, but so that people will be amazed at the greatness of God. So Jesus has just done these things. They've seen Jesus do amazing miracles, bring people back from the dead, you know, uh, feed 5,000 people. It, Moses, Moses and Elijah, kind of two Old Testament heroes, were hanging out with Jesus on the mountain. Like, this is pretty amazing. And then the disciples are arguing about, which one of us do you think is the greatest? Well, it's probably Jesus, right? It's like, come on, like, it's probably Jesus. That could be what's going on here. They're just being kind of thick-headed, dumb disciples, which happens a lot. You know, as a disciple of Jesus, there's sometimes I'm just thick-headed and dumb. So this may be just kind of the dumbest conversation. They're arguing, which one of us is the greatest? Well, this morning, I'm going to disagree with most of the Bible commentaries that I've read, okay? So I'm just going to lay that out there. I might be totally wrong, so that's Okay. Um, but we're going to see what you think, and uh, I could be totally wrong about this, but here's what I think is going on in Luke chapter 9. I don't think the disciples are just being dumb about arguing about who's the greatest. Here's what I think, is I think Jesus' greatness has been revealed to the disciples, and being aware and present to the greatness of Jesus inspires in the disciples a longing for greatness. If you're taking notes today, you can write this down, that Jesus' greatness inspires in the disciples, a longing for greatness. That Jesus' greatness inspires in the disciples a longing for greatness. Isn't that happens to most of us? 
you go to a great concert like you 2 and you're like, man, I'm so inspired. Or you're watching a cooking show, or how many Joanna Gaines fans are there, and you're like, she is amazing at decorating a room. How does she do that? You know, like, her, her greatness inspires so many of us. And we think, I got to practice some more. Like, I got to get better. That was amazing. I don't know if I could ever be that good, but I'm inspired to do better because of the greatness that I was around. Maybe you're an athlete, or maybe you're kind of an athlete, or maybe some of you were an athlete, and you see something on TV, and you're like, oh, I'm going to try to do that. Then you end up in the hospital, and then you get out, but you're still inspired to try, you know, to try out for American Ninja Warrior or do Tough Mudder or Iron Man like Sean back there. Way to go, Sean! Uh, you know, whatever it is, you're inspired because you see other people typically, you know, accomplish these great feats, and you're like, I want to do that. How many of you watch a cooking show, and you're like, man, that is amazing. You go into the kitchen, you're like, how can I make this Kraft mac and cheese phenomenal? You know, and uh, the problem is I don't think you can improve on greatness. Um, just kidding. Totally kidding. But I think that's what's going on here. I think Jesus' greatness has been revealed to the disciples. And I think the disciples realize, man, there's so much more that we could be. There's so much more that we could do. So much more that we could know. They're like, I want to be like Jesus. I want to know the things that Jesus knows. I want to be like Jesus. I want to do the things that Jesus d- does. That's the mark of being a disciple. And they're like, we got to up our game. What does greatness look like for us? And I think one of the reasons I think the disciples aren't just being stupid is Jesus doesn't rebuke them here. Later in the chapter, he rebukes them because, oh my word, the disciples are like, hey, those people weren't very nice to us. Do you want us to call down fire on that town? And he's like, no, don't do that. Like, he rebukes them when they're thinking about calling down fire on other people. Like, no, no. But here he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, your longing, your desire for greatness, that's a stupid desire. Instead, he's going to instruct them. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Instead, he instructs them. So what are we to make with this desire that I think almost all of us have inside of us for greatness? With these kind of desires, these things in our life, there's really three pathways we can choose from. We can choose to just receive it, we can choose to reject it, or we can choose to redeem it. We can choose to receive it, reject it, or redeem it. See, there's certain things as a follower of Christ that we can just receive. It doesn't matter if it's in the Bible or not. All truth is God's truth. When you go to your doctor and they're like, hey, you need to get a little more healthy, drink some more water, be active, eat good, healthy foods. Like, you can just receive that. You don't have to be like, I don't know, is that in the Bible? Where's that Daniel plan that I've heard so much about? Like, no, it's okay. There's other truth that doesn't have to be in the Bible for you to receive it. That's good. It's just good advice. There's other things that as Christians, as Christ followers, we just reject, right? As Christians, we have a lot of Christian things, like Christian movies, Christian books, Christian bands. But you know what? We don't have, like, Christian crack pipes, okay? We don't have Christian porn or Christian gossip magazines. Just because there's certain things we can't redeem. We just reject those things. Then there are things that we can redeem. There are good things that are created by God as a gift for us, but sometimes they've been corrupted and polluted by our world, by our culture, and we have to redeem them to enjoy them the way that God intended for us. Sexual activities would fall into this category. I'm super pumped. Uh, This October and November, uh, we're going to take a break from the book of Luke, and we're going to take six weeks and dive into the book of the Song of Solomon, which I've never preached through, but I'm pretty pumped and in that book, it's gonna, we're going to really learn that um, the world has nothing on the sexual freedom and fun that God wants married couples to enjoy. 
As married followers of Jesus, we can redeem things like strip teases, body shots, and kissing below the belt. All these things are in the book of Song of Solomon, and we're going to get to them. They're in the Bible, okay? Um, and they're all for married couples to enjoy. We're going to see the world has nothing, really honest, that we can't redeem in the way that God has designed us to have fun and connect in marriage. Back to Luke 9. You guys are all like, what in the world? It's true. It's true. You're going to see. It's in there. It's a really racy book. Uh, once you understand the metaphor, it's like, oh, my word. Um, Luke 9. So what should we do with this innate desire for greatness? I think a lot of us have inside of us. Should we just receive the world's definition of pursuing greatness? Should we just reject it? Or should we redeem it? Well, first, what would it look like to just receive the world's definition of greatness? I think if we allow our culture's definition of greatness uh, and we just receive it, it's going to be very devastating in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, there's a story uh, in a Greek myth of a man named Narcissus. And he's, he's a story of a young man who walked along and he saw his face reflected in water. And you can believe how magnificent and beautiful and glorious it was. And so he just became addicted to it and just so enamored. They just stared at himself and he ended up dying. <laughs> now, clinically, there's something kind of that's called narcissism. The truth is, I think all of us have a little touch of narcissism in us, that unless we've been redeemed and renewed by God's Holy Spirit, we tend to think that we're the most important person that we know, right? We have a whole culture that teaches us to have self-love and self-esteem and self-help and self-actualization so that we can get all that we can get, be all that we can do, do that all we can do, feel the, all that we can feel, and have all that we can have. The world says pursue greatness, which just means like get famous Pursue your own happiness and wealth. The truth is that we were made in the image and likeness of God. Not to stare at our own reflection in the water, but we were made to image and reflect God. We were made to be mirrors of God's greatness, of God's glory. To show something of his character and nature of the invisible God to the, invisible, to the visible world. We were made to be mirrors of God. Instead of being addicted to looking at ourselves in the mirror and worshiping ourselves. We exist to worship God, so we need to reject the cultural definition of greatness, which is about, it's all about me and my desire to be great and, and get all that I can get and be all that I can be. So then certain Christians, I think, will overreact and say, okay, let's just reject all desire for greatness. They'll say, yeah, the world's messed up. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be narcissistic, self-consumed, self-absorbed. James 3 says not to have selfish ambition. So should we just reject this drive for greatness altogether? I think it's very important to know that ambition and pride are not the same thing. Sometimes one can lead to the next, but ambition and pride are not the same thing. See, what happens is some people, they, they're worried about the world's definition of greatness, so they just reject greatness or ambition altogether. Let's unpack this. Do you think it glorifies God to live a half-hearted, dispassionate, disorganized, somewhat lazy, safe life? Do you think you're being a good steward and maximizing who you are and what God has entrusted you to accomplish? I don't think so. Don't you want to have a great marriage? Don't you want to have a great ministry? Don't you want to raise great kids and have a great prayer life and a great ministry and have a great impact on people who are suffering? Don't you want to leave behind a great legacy to people that are coming behind you, the future generations? See, the truth is, we should desire greatness. We were built for greatness. We long for greatness. We can't just reject that desire and live passive lives hanging back and say, I don't want to do anything of any consequence because I'm worried about having unhealthy ambition, so I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. 
So that pushes us to the third option. We can't just receive the world's definition of greatness. We can't reject it, so we need to redeem greatness. See, the disciples are saying, we want to be great. And Jesus doesn't say, well, just be great like the world says to be great. You know, pursue a pathway through the Roman Empire, you know, and, and go up, up, up. He also doesn't say, no, that desire is wrong. Just reject that desire. He says, okay, let me show you how to be great in the kingdom of God. One of the neat things about the Bible is that we have uh, four different perspectives on the life of Jesus, four different biographies. And I've said before, it's kind of like watching, uh, you know, the evening news. You have ABC, CBS, NBC. That's kind of like Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, and then you have John, which is kind of like the BBC, like very different perspective on God's life. <laughs> But each one kind of shares a different look at who Jesus is. So I want to read the same account from Matthew, who was there as well, uh, one of Jesus' followers. And here's how he tells the story, just slightly different than the way Luke tells the story. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, this is in Matthew 18, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone, a big rock, fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. So Jesus did something very unexpected here. In Jesus' day, kids were kind of just tolerated, especially single males like Jesus didn't have anything to do with kids. And Jesus, this great rabbi, people are talking, and, and the kids are kind of on the outskirts. And he grabs a kid, and he pulls him in as his object lesson. And he's like, your desire for greatness is a good desire. Let me show you how to do that. You guys need to hang out with kids more. Men, we need you to serve in our kids' ministry. Jesus, as a single male, he loved kids. Kids were attracted to him. And he's telling these guys that are following him, if you want to be great, you need to hang out with some kids. We need you to invest in the lives of kids. Kids may freak you out. You don't have to change a diaper, but we need you to serve in preschool and elementary, and there's different ways that you can serve and invest in kids. Guys, don't be afraid of serving our littlest ones back there. Jesus is saying, you know what? You want to be great? Humble yourself and learn to have a childlike, not a childish, but a childlike faith. So how do we follow Jesus into greatness? How do we do that? Here's what I came up with, and you can write these down if you want. I think number one is we need to serve humbly. You need to serve humbly. See, in Jesus' culture, kids were kind of on the outskirts. They weren't really first-class citizens or anything like that. And he's saying, hey, when you receive these kids, it's like you're receiving me. He's saying, when you receive me, you're receiving the one who sent me, my Father in heaven. He says, invest in those who are in the outskirts of society kids, those with disabilities, the poor, the widows, the outcasts. Do you say, you want to be great? That's good. The way to be great is to humbly serve. Humbly serve those who are on the outside who are easily forgotten. Humbly serve. That's the pathway in the kingdom of God towards greatness. I think, too, number two, we need to reject passivity. Reject passivity. We can't sit back and say, well, I don't want to drift into selfish ambition, so I'm just going to do nothing. I'm just going to sit back and just live my life. No. He says, no, you need to receive the kids. You need to, this desire for greatness is a good one. What can you do to make a difference? 
What can you do to receive children? What can you do to serve humbly? Just reject this idea of passivity and instead ask God, how have you wired me up for greatness? What stirs in my heart my passions, my abilities, my personality, my experiences, so I can make a difference in this world? Reject the desire to just sit back and do nothing in life. Say, no, I'm going to invest in my marriage because I want a great marriage. I'm going to invest in my kids because it's never too late. I'm not just going to be passive because my kids have have grown up or my kids are little. I'm not going to be passive about that. I'm I'm going to go all into it. I I want to leave a great legacy behind of faith, of, of healthy financial situation, so that my kids and my grandkids have a better situation than I found myself in. Reject passivity. And number three, dream boldly. Dream boldly. Say, God, I want to be great. How do I do that? How do I humbly serve? How do I receive the least of these so I can receive you, Jesus? Dream boldly. I believe that God put that spark of that desire for greatness inside of us, that when we watch a band like U2 for me, or when I watch Russell Wilson play a quarterback, there's something that inspires me. I think that's a good thing. Dream boldly, not for our own greatness. Say, God, how can you use me so that I can reflect your greatness to the world? How can you use me to make a difference in this world, not just to sit back? Jesus is going to give us an opportunity to redeem our ambitions. What are you ambitious about? What do you dream about? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? Are these things God glorifying, others helping by the grace of God? If not, if your dreams and your plans for the future don't help others and don't bring glory to God, then you can redeem those motives. You can change them. You can say, okay, God, change my plans so that what I do brings honor to you and and helps others. I want to help you redeem that desire for greatness. God has given us the opportunity to check our hearts, to check our motives, our ambitions, our intentions. Some of you, you have a worldly view for greatness, and you're just pursuing maybe things for your own good, for your own financial gain, or just the mark that you want to make in the world. And God says, that desire is good, but you need to turn it towards, towards humbly serving, to receiving the least of these. That those who are the least in the kingdom of God are the greatest. The principle of the upside-down kingdom, that God's kingdom looks different than the way the world works. Now, some of you are, have the opposite problem. You're not ambitious. You're not disciplined. You're just a little lazy. You lack ambition in the name of what I call false humility. You need to also reject that kind of behavior, the desire to just sit back and do nothing. No, God has a plan for each and every one of us. I want to invite all of us today to see this opportunity to redeem our ambitions, redeem our desires, and our longing for greatness. Now, let me say this, too. Jesus is not only our example of greatness. He's not only our inspiration for greatness. But Jesus is the means by which we receive greatness. If we jump ahead, just a couple verses to Luke 9, 51. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is actually the big turning point in the whole book of Luke. He's now setting his face towards Jerusalem and the cross that is before him. Because Jesus knows the way to greatness, the way that the reason he's there is to head to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay, 
to die on the cross for our sins. The 16th century pastor Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. That Jesus takes all our narcissism, our arrogance, our pride, our filth, all the mistakes that we've made, all the bad thoughts and bad motives that we've had, even the bad motives that we've had for doing the good things that we've done, and all the ways that we fall short, Jesus takes that. And we don't just get a blank slate, but in exchange, he imputes to us his righteousness, which means we get the resume, resume of Christ. That the good things that Jesus did, his strength, his courage, his love, his perfection, gets credited to us. And then when G God the Father sees us, he sees the resume of Jesus. It's an amazing exchange. And right here in Luke, chapter 9, Jesus is setting his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, because he knows that is what he was destined and designed to do. It's an amazing, amazing thing that God allows us to receive the righteousness, the resume of Christ in exchange for all the ways that we fall short. So we want to pursue greatness not for our righteousness, but from the righteousness that is given to us by Jesus. Not for our glory, but from the glory of God. Not for the love of God, but from the love of God. Jesus is saying, what is it that you have been created to do? How can you serve the least of these? How can you dream boldly? How can you reject passivity and humbly serve others? We don't want to just receive the world's definition of greatness. We don't want to just reject it. We want to redeem it. Say, God, help us to be great in your kingdom, which is by serving others, by making a difference. And one of the very, very tangible ways that Jesus gives us as an example is he pulls a kid to him and says, hang out with kids a little bit more. I'm going to invite Beth, our children's director, to come on up. Uh, she's singing today, and uh, I'm just going to ask her a couple questions about uh, what does it mean to love and serve on kids. Thanks, Beth, for being here this morning. Your mic's back there. Sorry. Uh, Beth has been working with our, our kids' ministry since the very beginning before we even had a church. So thank you for all that you do and the hard work for investing in our kids. Um, and so, again, when I read this passage and I was going through this, I said, well, if Jesus pulls up a kid and that's his like, hey, you want to receive me? Receive this kid. How can we not talk about kids' ministry back there? Uh, and we like to say that here children are not just an afterthought. Children are a priority. We want to have a priority. So tell us, why should someone even think about serving back in kids' ministry? Okay, well, there we go. I'm on. All right. I could talk for a really, really long time on kids because that's my favorite thing to talk about. I don't know if this is a question that you're going to ask, but I have a couple kids. Um, I How actually many kids have, do you have? I actually have five kids, so clearly I like kids. Um, am I making that noise? No, nope, that's me. Still. Okay, perfect. All right, so kids, first of all, I just want to say that I love being back with your guys' kids. 
Um, I'm actually, I don't know what to do with myself when I'm in here. Um, I want to go be there, and I've had times where I'm not supposed to be back there, but I might like jump in, and I'm sorry, um, jump into worship because I like to be there. So um, what was your question? I just got off track. Kids are awesome, and there are a million reasons why someone should volunteer in kids. Uh, first of all, sometimes we walk in thinking that we know it all and we're gonna teach these children some awesome truths and actually you walk away every time that you serve feeling filled up and blessed, sometimes tired. Um, but when I serve in elementary, almost every single week I am brought to tears with questions that are asked in small group or prayers that kids pray over um, their prayer requests. I've had kids that, that want to pray for their parents or um, their family, and it's just amazing hanging out with these kids and hearing about their lives and getting just a piece of that from them. So, so like the only way to serve in kids' ministry is to like change diapers, right? Or to teach in a big <laughs> class of like 30 kids? So, first of all, I purposely do not change diapers, okay? Because... <laughs> Like I said, I've had five children, and I've changed a lot of diapers. I, I'm seeing the end, the light of the tunnel. But um, no, there's more ways to serve than just changing diapers and just being a lead teacher. Um, there are a lot of different areas that you can serve, and we do need teachers every week. And that's not even scary. Anybody, I believe anybody can do that, um, that has a heart that just wants to make a difference in the, in the life of a child. Um, also, every, every week we need helpers with our teachers, so people that just literally want to show up, maybe help set up and tear down, but then just hang out with the kids. Um, in our elementary room, we have, uh, I love getting dads in there playing Foursquare with the, with the boys that's a, and girls. Um, they love that. And um, in our toddler room, you can be an assistant, just sit down on the floor, play with kids. Uh, there's check-in tables that you can be if you like to be that first face and um, you like to, to greet people with a smile. There's lots of different areas that you can serve. And you need, like, at least a Bible degree to teach in kids' ministry? Correct, Is that right. true? So I don't have a degree. I don't have a Bible degree. Um, but I have, um, from the time I was probably seven years old, I knew that I wanted to do something to change the lives of kids. And I think that God will call you and will equip you, and it doesn't matter how much experience you have, that really, if you have the heart, that God will, will do the rest. So no, you don't have to have awesome degrees or be a licensed teacher or anything like that. Um, we will help come alongside you. You really just need the heart and the desire to, to serve. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes people get a little freaked out, like, what if I'm in a small group with a preschooler or an elementary age kid or even a teenager, and they ask me a question I don't know the answer to. I feel like, what if I'm going to lead them the wrong road or I'm going to give them the wrong thing? There is no shame in ever telling a kid, hey, that's a great question. I'm not sure. Let's go talk to, you know, Beth, our children's director, see what she has to say. Let's go back to talk to Pastor Eric or Pastor Nader, anyone else. Uh, it's totally okay to admit that to a kid like, hey, you know, I'm not sure. That's a great question. Can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? I don't know. You know, like kids come up with amazing questions. And uh, that's, that's okay to, to not feel like you have all the answers. Uh, the other thing I just want to say is, again, like Beth said, that, um, you know, it's so good to have dads back there. 
Uh, statistically, 40% of all kids are going to go to bed tonight without a dad in their life at home. And that's the same stat, sadly, for kids in church versus outside of church. And so some kids, the only positive male um, uh, role model they have in their life might be at church. And so especially, you know, I'm, I'm not harping on, on the guys, but man, really think about it, guys, that to serve back there, because we don't want that just to be like women's work back there, amen? That we believe that men and women were both created to make a difference and, and pour into kids. Um, uh, just kind of wrap it up again, like uh, maybe just share even just some other creative ways where um, someone can serve. I know we have people that invest in the middle of the week um, in, in kids' ministry, any other ways that they can invest in the life of kids. Yeah. There are um, other ways, too. There are kind of behind the scenes. We get things ready every week. We prepare uh, little crafts, and we prepare binders, and we get snacks, and we make sure diapers are back there and wipes. And so if you're more of like an organizational person, um, we have carts that get kind of destroyed every week because we're digging and we're an awesome portable church. So things like that, that maybe outside the box, we would always love to have any help like that um, from you guys. Yeah. Um, you know, and just again, outside the box is, you know, we have, we have guys in the church who have chosen to say, hey, you know, there's some boys in our church whose dad's not going to be around for a while. And so I'm going to be like a big brother. And we're going to go out and just do some stuff. And, and, and we'd love to connect you. That's your heart and your desire. You know, we can help you connect with uh, we've quite a few single moms in, in our congregation is investing in those kids. Again, there's just lots of ways. We want to say that desire for greatness is good. And, and here at Mosaic, and the way to be great here at this church, the way to kind of climb the ladder is to serve the littlest ones, to serve the least of these. How can we be a community that the kids aren't just an afterthought over there, they're a priority in our lives? How can we invest in them? And, uh, and the last question I, f- I forgot I was going to ask you was, again, maybe there are some parents in here, and just this idea of investing in their, in their own kids is is uh, just like, I don't even know where to start. So maybe if someone is a parent, uh, and they got a couple kids, or even just one kid, what are some ways, uh, just some little things they could do even this week to start to have some spiritual conversations or to invest in their kid uh, spiritually uh, even now? That's a good question. So a couple different ways. Um, I think of like the top three. You think of prayer and scripture and worship. And how can you get those into your daily week, not just on a Sunday, but um, just your daily routine? So one of the ways is just that we like to do in our families, just keeping worship on as much as possible. So when we're in the car, when we're at home, maybe it's the worship songs the kids are learning. You can ask me, you know, do you have those links? Can I, can I play those songs at home for you so that kids can know that? Um, it's even pulling up just stations on Pandora of Hillsong Kids Worship, things like that. So the kids will start to hear that. And from that, I even have my five-year-old will come, and he's almost six. He'll be six in October. And he'll come, and he'll think of questions. He's a thinker. And he'll come back to me and just ask these questions after just even hearing the worship songs. So that's awesome. That gives us conversation throughout the week. So that'd be one thing is just getting so worship you're telling in your the home. parents that even if they don't like a song like Lighthouse, yes, and their kids like I've it, they should the listen to it, right? I think we did that one in kids' church this week. So thought about that. Um, yeah, so that's one way. Another way would be um, we just keep a basket close by in our kitchen with, I have like 
three-story book Bibles, three different ones um, that we'll just pull out. And we've never been good at, like, organized, hey, we're going to do family devotions because usually somebody's not there or somebody's running around or I don't even know. So um, I try to grab when the kids are eating, grab a Bible or grab the devotional, even if it's just 30 seconds, where we open it up and I'm able to speak something into their lives. And honestly, every time, I'm, I'm a sucker for being emotional, so my kids know that. Um, but I'll read these incredible devotions from the kids' Bibles, and honestly, I think God speaks to me <laughs> like it was for me. So I just encourage you, go to a local Christian bookstore and pick up either the storybook Bible or any of the kids' devotionals. I'm trying to think of the names right now. You can come and find me, and I'll remember later. Uh, but through that, we've just found um, just great family time. And it, again, it, it can be for just a couple minutes, just getting that in the daily routine. Um, and then the last thing is uh, just we try to pick a scripture verse, and it doesn't have to be every week. It could be for the month. Hey, our family is really struggling with getting along. My siblings, you know, it's summer, we're out of routine. This is the verse that is going up on a chalkboard or whatever. Put it on a post-it note and put it up, and I'm going to try to just say it so that I get it in my heart, but then also it's just a simple way like, hey guys, as a family, we're going to try this. We're just going to practice this one scripture verse together. So Yeah, thank you. Um, Everyone who currently serves or has served in kids' ministry, can you stand up? Can we give them and Beth a just round of applause? Thank you. Thank you for serving. Uh, I'm going to invite the band to come on up, and uh, we're going to close our service now with receiving an offering and go out of here singing. Uh, again, I just want to encourage you, uh, redeem that desire for greatness. Ask God, how have you wired me up? And especially think through, how can I serve the least of these? And uh, for a lot of us, that's going to be kids. How can we make a difference back there with the kids? Not make them just an afterthought, but a priority. Uh, would you stand with me? Uh, we're going to close our service uh, by receiving an offering. This is a chance if you're a guest or, or regular tender to drop off that connection card in those offering baskets. Uh, as Ryan said, uh, you, you know, you can have your prayer requests on there. If you'd like more information about getting baptized next Sunday night, um, so we'll have a normal Sunday morning service, and then we'll be at Weaver Lake Park, which is just down the road, uh, for do our outdoor baptism service there on the 30th. Uh, if you'd like more information about that, I'd love to talk with you this week, or you want to sign up for a starting point uh, class on the 2nd. Anything like that, you can do it on the connection card. Um, and this is also the chance for uh, those who call Mosaic home to uh, give back uh, through tithes and offerings. We just want to say thank you for your generosity. Uh, would you join me in prayer? Uh, and then we'll uh, go out of here singing. God, I thank you. Uh, I thank you, God, that you put this desire for greatness inside of us. Uh, God, I thank you that your son Jesus, that he inspires us. And he is also the reason for our greatness, that um, we can receive new life we can receive the righteousness of Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross by serving all of us, by giving his life for us. So God, we ask that we'd be inspired by that to ask, God, how can I make a difference now? Uh, not for myself, but to make a difference in this world, to bring glory to your name. God, uh, help me to see how I can reach out to the least of these, to children, to those with disabilities, those who just feel on the outskirts of society. God, we want to be a church that sees people, 
that loves people, uh, God, that um, serves them, uh, because you have done that. You saw us in the midst of our sin and, and filth. You loved us and you saved us. So thank you. Thank you, God. Uh, and God, we ask now that you would uh, bless uh, these, uh, this offering, that you'd continue to help us meet all our needs as a church. And God, I thank you for the generosity of those who partner with us to make a difference here in Maple Grove. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go out of here singing uh, and uh, have a great week. And may you know that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, and he has a plan for your life. And he wants you to be inspired to follow him. Let's go out of here. Sing.